Well, I want to thank so many people who have helped to uh, participate in this worship service this morning, who have added um, so many things for our faith ringers, uh, for Gary and Jody Brubaker for your beautiful music this morning, uh, Mark Jerkins as our liturgist. I'm so grateful for the ways that uh, so many of our volunteers and staff are helping uh, and participating in so many new and different ways uh, in growing together in this new way that we find ourselves doing ministry today. So thank you for all that you have uh, have helped to offer to our service this morning. So um, for our, our worship, for our sermon series, um, we're, we're, talk we're talking about some food for thought. And so I'm in our dining room as a part of that. Um, and if, wherever you find yourself this morning worshiping, if you're in your living room or dining room or bedroom, or maybe you're not even... Uh, in the morning. Maybe you're able to watch this in the evening after you're off work or in the afternoon. Um, wherever you are or whenever you are, um, I want you to feel free to eat alongside this. Uh, as we're talking about food, you might get hungry. And so feel free to eat your breakfast or your lunch or your dinner or brunch or snacks or whatever alongside um, as we worship together and as we, uh, as we share in this sermon series. So Many people have been cooking or baking more while they've been at home. And so we're reflecting on what maybe you have been making or baking uh, and some passages of scripture giving us some food for thought. So last week we looked at, uh, at cakes or cupcakes. Uh, today we're looking at casseroles. We'll look at breads and then we'll look at s'mores. So would you pray with me? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I talked um, a little bit about uh, what soul food is. And so let's talk a little bit about what soul food is. And I have learned that this definition of soul food is sometimes really fiercely debated. And maybe even you are thinking of some of the definitions that you have or the food that you imagine as soul food. Maybe that's fried chicken or um, some puddings or pie or fried okra or mashed potatoes. And maybe some of those things that you imagine or that you picture as soul food, we don't imagine as some of the most healthy food. Um, and so I think that it's important also to remember that soul food has a really significant role in our culture and particularly in African-American culture. In his book, uh, Soul Food, the surprising, story of an, uh, the surprising Story of an American Cuisine, One Plate at a Time, historical food scholar Adrian Miller looks at soul food from so many angles and complicated histories. Now, I am just, I'm still amazed by that title, historical food scholar. It just sounds like an incredible job to be able to look at food uh, and to look at its stories. And the truth is when we think about food, oftentimes we think about it just as food, as maybe nourishment or if it's healthy or not healthy, but food also has a story and a history that goes along with it. Sometimes that history is, this is what my grandma made, um, or this is a recipe that I learned from my great grandma, or maybe it's been passed down from generations. Or maybe the story of food is, this is where the food from my, from my origin comes from. This is, this is the food that comes from the land from which I came. Um, maybe that's German food, or maybe it's Mexican food, or maybe it's Italian food. There's a story that we have of food. 
And so I think that it's important to remember all of those stories. And so in this book, Soul Food, um, Adrienne Miller talks about some of these complicated histories that are behind food, um, including some of the origins of soul food ethos. Hubert Maybell uh, owned a soul food joint in Chicago, and he talked about the ethos of soul food in an interview that he did in the 70s. And I think it still is relevant today. And he said that traditionally, the Southern African Americans were forced to take cheaper cuts of the hogs um, or the cuts that, that white people threw away. Ham hocks, pig's feet, and chitlins. And they made cuisine out of cooking these things with great skill and care but it wasn't called soul food then. But whenever the church had a picnic or a revival meeting, people brought such dishes from their home. And he said, you have to remember that the cuisine was developed by people who lived in the kingdom of necessity. Soul food usually is gauged by the question, is it economical? And I think that there are a lot of images that we have of soul food. Um, and I think even within maybe what you imagine traditionally as soul food, there is room in there for casseroles. Maybe it's a sweet potato casserole or green bean casserole or corn casserole or, well, you kind of get the picture. Um, I think casseroles are a form of soul food as well. Now, casseroles can sometimes go by different names, by casserole or hot dish, but what constitutes a casserole? Okay, so the definition of what constitutes the casserole, now this can be really controversial. So I went and I looked, what is the definition of a casserole? And here's the definition of a casserole. Something cooked in a casserole dish. That's the definition. That's apparently the only definition there is about casseroles is that it's something cooked in a casserole dish. Now this can be really controversial as I learned. Um, what a casserole is can be pretty controversial. I, uh, I posted a question on my Facebook page, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, asking is lasagna a casserole? And there are some, some pretty strong opinions about what is and what is not a casserole. So I know I made a lasagna for the casserole this week. Um, and some, uh, some people are gonna really disagree with that and probably even some of you really disagree with that right now. But I cooked it in a casserole dish. So by that definition, it's a casserole, right? Feel free to debate it in the comments, it's fine. Um, now every church, book ha every church cookbook has some great casserole recipes and just great recipes in general, but great casserole recipes. Maybe you remember bringing or eating casseroles at potlucks or at carry-ins or uh, whatever you may have called them. Maybe you have a favorite casserole Maybe one that you even think of when you think of comfort food, something warm and gooey, melty or soupy, something delicious, I'm sure. Now, oftentimes the, when there's a death, casseroles get brought over or some kind of food gets brought over and oftentimes it's casseroles because those are easy to package and deliver. Um, it's, it's often done as a way to help give someone food to feed them so that they don't have to think about it. In the moments of grief and loss, sometimes we're so busy with so many other feelings and emotions and maybe even details of planning specific things that we haven't thought about um, even our own health and well-being in the midst of that. 
it can be really exhausting. So having someone feed us and take the pressure off of making some of those decisions, that can be really helpful. Sometimes we don't have to say anything to someone who's in grief. Sometimes we just need to feed them. And I think that's one of the gifts of funeral lunches. One of the gifts that we've been able to offer is that of funeral lunches, a space for people to eat some delicious food and delicious desserts, to continue to tell stories and memories and be together and to eat. In a recent interview, Stephen Colbert quoted the poet Robert Bly, and, he's, and he talked about it this way. He said, there are two different things you can do when someone says, my brother died. You can try to go upward and raise their spirits, or you can join with them in communion and say, in some ways, we all lose our brothers, and I have had this experience. And that connection between you and that other person is like a food that you can share. Sometimes a casserole is more than a casserole. Sometimes it's soul food. Which of course brings us to the story for this morning, the story of Mary and Martha. It's the story of Jesus going to visit Mary and Martha and Martha is busy in the kitchen and Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet and then Martha asks Jesus to tell Mary to help her. And Jesus says, no. Uh, and he says this, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken from her. Now here's some of the noteworthy uh, points I think are in the, that are in this story. Now we know more about Mary and Martha from the Gospel of John, um, but this is the only, uh, this is the Gospel of Luke, and this is the only little piece that we have here. So some of the noteworthy points from this story. Martha welcomed Jesus into her home, and it was rare for a woman to be the owner and proprietor of her home and for it to be called her home. So what we know about Martha is that she is either unmarried or widowed, but this is her home. And Martha is inviting Jesus into her home. And the other thing that we know is that women were not allowed to sit at the rabbi's feet and learn. That was a place that was reserved for men. And yet here is Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning as a disciple would be. There are some really radical pieces to the story that we might just skim right over. And one of the other side notes, one of the other noteworthy points that I think is just kind of funny in this story is that as Martha is feeling overwhelmed and she tells Jesus, um, tells Jesus, tell Mary to come in the kitchen to help me. Tell that sister of mine to come and help me. Um, when Jesus is really wise to stay out of that and he doesn't get in the middle of the sister spats. Um, so I just find that funny. Tell Mary to come in anyway. Um, so this story is probably one that, that is really familiar to many people. And it's a story that we often, uh, we often attribute some meaning to the story. 
we think about who's right in the story. Is Mary the right one or is Martha the right one? Who is living the better life? And seemingly Jesus says that Mary is right, which then we usually say, well, that means that Martha is wrong. But that's actually not really what he's saying. What he says is Mary has chosen the better part. And I think what he means is that Mary has chosen the better part for her. And maybe Martha has chosen the better part for her. I think we often like to set things up as binary, as either or. Either you're this or you're that. Either Mary is right or Martha is right, but it can't be both. But what if it is? What if it's not either Mary or Martha? What if they've chosen the better path each for themselves? Martha has chosen something that gives her joy and is needed, hospitality. Now maybe she can dial some things back a little bit to not feel overwhelmed, but what if the better path for Martha is making the casseroles in the kitchen? And Mary has chosen something that gives her joy and fulfillment and is also necessary, sitting at the feet of Jesus and learning. Both could be right. And yet we pass judgment over both of them. A <clears throat> uh, church that I was once serving had a traditional dinner where the United Methodist men or the men's group served the dinner and the United Methodist women or the women's group worked in the kitchen. And it was the job of the pastor to be milling around the dining room, greeting people and making conversation. So that's what I was doing. And about halfway through the dinner, one of the men uh, pulled me aside and said that he was really uncomfortable with something. And he said, I just don't know quite what to do with you. I mean, I know the pastor is supposed to be out and talking to the people, but, but the women are supposed to be in the kitchen. And so I think you're supposed to be in the kitchen too. And also I think you're supposed to be out in the dining room. And, and I just really don't know what I'm supposed to think right now. Now, when I've told this to people, when I've told this story to people, they have been incensed on my behalf or hoped that I was incensed also, um, thinking that, that someone would say something like this to me or to anybody. But I wasn't incensed then, and I'm not now. Because I think it took courage for this man to express something that he wasn't comfortable with and that he was struggling with. And he could have whispered it among the people, but he didn't. He came directly and he said he wasn't sure what to do with something that was different. And I told him it was okay to be struggling and it was okay to be uncomfortable about this and that it was also okay to keep working together in new and different ways. Are you Mary or are you Martha? I'm not sure that's always a fair question. Certainly we all have our gifts in particular areas. Sometimes we're stretched beyond our comfort into somewhere else. Sometimes we might be more comfortable as a Mary, but we're called to be a Martha for some time. I'm not sure if I'm a Mary or a Martha. I'm pretty sure I'm a Melissa though. And I'm also pretty sure that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And I'm doing that in the best way that I know how right now.
And I would suspect that's the same for you as well. And sometimes when we mess up, well, a lot of times we'll mess up. And there's grace. Grace that covers our mistakes and invites us to start again. Wherever you are, Jesus meets you there. Jesus meets us exactly where we are. That's a story, the story that's told over and over again throughout the Gospels. Jesus meets us exactly where we are. Maybe we're like Mary and sitting at his feet. Maybe we're like Martha and feeling overwhelmed and burdened. Or like any of the other stories where Jesus meets people alone or ashamed or guilty or celebrating or scared or curious. Jesus meets us exactly where we are and continually invites us on a journey together to answer the call, to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world, to make the world a better place here and now and for the future, sharing hope and love and peace and joy. Last week we talked about and delivered cupcakes and muffins. I'm so grateful for those who were able to bake and those who were able to receive. If you didn't, please let me know and we'll make sure to pass along some of these signs of hope and love. So what do we do with casseroles? Well, we're in a strange place right now where we can't just invite someone over for dinner. So that means that we have to think a little differently. So what are some of the ways that you can offer maybe some casseroles in these times? So here's some of the ways that I think. Maybe you can set up a video dinner party. Maybe you all agree to eat the same recipe together, or maybe it's a potluck. Perhaps if you feel comfortable, one person could make dinner and do porch drop-offs as you eat together and check in on one another. Or maybe you can share food with someone who you know needs some. Maybe doing grocery shopping for someone who can't get out of the house. Maybe sharing food with a food pantry like FACC. Or maybe feeding someone who you know is hungry. Here's what I'd like to also offer to us as a challenge of ways to feed people this week. Order dinner for someone else from a restaurant. Maybe you know someone directly you can do this for, or maybe you wanna help and you just don't know how. So here's how we're going to help. Buy a gift card from a local restaurant for $10, or you can buy multiple gift cards for $10. But it's easier to keep track of how many to give people if they're in $10 increments. Now, after you buy the gift card from a local restaurant, um, bring it to the church, um, and you can drop it off either in the mailbox, which is locked, or on the back deck of the parsonage, there is a cooler or, and a, or I'm using it as a collection box um, for, for items as well. So for contactless drop-off and pickups. <clears throat> so you can do it that way. If you're not ready or not able or not comfortable in going out anywhere, but you'd like to send a donation in to buy some uh, gift cards, uh, we'll have someone from the church who will do that. So you can mail in a check or drop off your check or cash to do that. Um, again, also in the mailbox or as you mail in your offering, um, you can add this in addition to that. 
um, to buy some gift cards. Now, if you're participating in our worship service and you're not from the Freeport area, we welcome your donations or um, you are uh, welcome to do this in your own community as well. We'll take the gift cards here and we will share them with people. Now, if you want to make a request for a meal out, please contact the church office or me directly and we'll get something coordinated for you. We can feed each other and support some of our small local businesses here right now. Maybe we can't make a casserole, but we can still feed each other. We're all in this together, supporting one another, no matter where you find yourself. Maybe you're finding this time to be very productive. Maybe you're not. Maybe you've completed a lot of your projects. Maybe you're barely holding your head above water. How can we meet one another where we are without judgment? How can we take care of one another, even in new and maybe not yet comfortable ways? All the ways that you have already been answering this call have been remarkable. I know the place we're in isn't comfortable and everyone, oh, Frankie, <laughs> everyone sort of wishes maybe we were somewhere else. Frankie does. But we're here together. It may be a new dance that we're learning together, but some of the steps are familiar. And y'all, I am so grateful to be doing this together. So let's keep listening for and answering the calls that we hear together while we feed one another and eat this food together. Amen.